All right, why don't you turn in your Bibles now to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 15, and then just one other passage of Scripture, John's Gospel, chapter 10. We're in a series today that is all about drawing near to the heart of the Father so that we can be wrecked by His love, and once we're wrecked, we'll be able to share that love and live that love and offer that love to the multitudes of people who need it. And the reality is, friends, is that God has called us to be carriers of His presence, to live in His presence and share His presence with everyone that we meet, and to rescue the lost of this world. And pastors Nick and Nathan did a phenomenal job in the first two messages in this series. I'm wrapping it all up today with one more uh, message on the theme of wrecked, so you can turn to Luke 15 at verse 1. I'm going to read it for us. The scriptures will be on the screen as well. Here's what it says. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him, and the Pharisees and scribes complained, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he spoke this parable to them, saying, What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he loses one of them? does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one which is lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. I say to you that likewise there will be More joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Let me read that last verse for us again. There will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. This is an incredulous moment in the life of Jesus. This is one of those places in the Scriptures where we get to see Jesus in a different way, find out what's really important to Him, what's on His heart, and and actually what motivates Him. And it happens right after an upsurge in His popularity when there was a phenomenal increase in the amount of people who were beginning to show up at His gatherings. It says in chapter 14, verse 25, great multitudes were now with Him. All kinds of people were going wherever Jesus was going. So what Jesus does, if you see the end of chapter 14, is he raises the bar. And he does something that we could, we could describe as he gives the hard sayings. and says, if you're going to be my disciple, if you're going to follow me, you must lay down everything. Everything. In fact, he says in verse 33, whoever of you does not forsake all that he has cannot be my disciple. It's interesting that when he does that, you might think, well, a whole bunch of people would just leave him and and go away, and sometimes they did. But in those moments when Jesus was speaking, there was a group of people listening in, and they actually got attracted to him. And it tells us who they were in chapter 15 at verse 1. It says, then. Then all the tax collectors and the sinners drew near to him to hear him. I don't know about you, but I find that quite astounding. It certainly isn't a seeker-sensitive approach to evangelism. 
You want to follow me, Jesus says? You must forsake all things. You must lay down your life in order for you to find it. You must pick up your cross and follow me. If you don't pick up your cross and follow me, you can't be my disciple. He says that, and this group of people listening in, this, this unique group of people, they thought to themselves, I like what he's saying. And the group of people was known as the tax collectors and the sinners. Now, we learned from Pastor Nathan's message last week how bad the tax collectors were. Do you remember that message? In collusion with Rome, ripping off people at tax season, which was all year long. But those people, those church or non-churched people, weren't the only ones. It wasn't just tax collectors who were interested in Jesus. It was, quote, the sinners. And back then, people were called sinners if they didn't attend synagogue, if they didn't go to the temple, if they didn't do the sacrifices, if they didn't try to obey the Old Testament law of Moses. They were just called sinners by the Pharisees and the scribes. And it's those people who like what Jesus is saying. So it says they drew near to him, and it says he received them. And that's an interesting word. I looked it up, and it's not an average word. It means to give personal access to by way of hospitality. It's like you get a backstage pass. You know, you, you have a favorite band, a favorite artist, and maybe you're on a, you know, an internet uh, website, and you fill out a form, and you win a prize, and the prize is you get to meet so-and-so backstage. That's kind of the idea here. Jesus is giving out backstage passes to the tax collectors and the sinners. Not for the religious people. Uh, they were seeking him out too, but they were always trying to trap him and, and get him you know, to say something wrong. But these tax collectors and sinners, they are invited to a special connection moment with Jesus. And I can kind of picture this going on. You know, the tax collectors are hanging out in the city square, and they're like, hey, I got, a, I got an invitation to meet Jesus, you know, from Nazareth. And, and the other tax collector says, I, I got one too. Well, I'm going. Are you going? Yeah, I'm going to go, and I'm going to bring my other tax collector friends. Well, what about the teachers of the law? What about the Pharisees? Jesus doesn't want them at this party. And, and he, has, he has other times when he's with them, but this one is just for us. This is just for us guys. All the tax collectors and sinners were invited to this special moment. And I find it interesting that these are the people who end up really recognizing who Jesus is. Isn't that fascinating? All the seminary-trained theologians of the day seem to have missed him. But not these people, the harlots, the sinners, the publicans. They actually understood who Jesus was, and they knew that he was someone special. So Jesus shifts his gears, and he gives three powerful parables here in Luke 15. We're just looking at the first one today, and it's all about revealing the heart of God the Father in contrast to the religious leaders of the day. And he talks about a shepherd and sheep. So a question for you, how do you know if you're missing a sheep? It's not complicated. You count them, right? So if you got a flock of sheep, you got a hundred sheep, you count them, maybe it's nighttime, they're, they're laying on the ground, and you go 95, 96, 97, 98, 99, and where is 100? 100 is not there. So this shepherd has a flock, and he notices that one of his sheep is missing. He stops the movement of the flock, and it says he goes after the one lost sheep. 
he goes after the one lost sheep. He leaves the 99 in the wilderness, it says, and he pursues the one who's missing. And I think anybody listening to this parable back then would have went, nah, are you serious? As if shepherds would do that. That's what it says. That's part of the story. He leaves the 99 in the wilderness. I want you to turn to the friend beside you and say, he left the 99 in the wilderness. It's important, right? Go ahead and tell them. He left the 99 in the wilderness. Why? So he could go after the one that was missing. What does this tell us about people? Because this is not really a story about how to take care of little fluffy white things. This is a story about people. It tells us this. Some people are doing just fine. Some people are in the 99. They're in the flock. They're safe. They're secure. They're taken care of. They're getting all their needs met. They know that they belong to the shepherd. They are happy in the flock. Uh, all, All that they're thinking about for their future is in God's hands. They know that they will be given attention by the Lord. Uh, Sheep often need to be cared for. They are at rest and at peace. There's no anxiety in their lives. They know that every now and then they'll have to lie down and have a rest, and they'll have to be led to some places where they can drink good water. They know that they will be protected from predators by the shepherd. But for them who are the 99, life is good. You're in the 99 when you're not worried about tomorrow. When you're resting in the love and care and guidance of God. And so friends, for the most part, I would say, this should be us. We are the 99. We are the ones, hopefully all of us or most of us, who are are saying, I am loved by God. I am known by God. I am kept by God. I am being led by God. And we can say over ourselves that great part of the Bible known as the 23rd Psalm. You know how it goes, the Lord is my shepherd. I have everything that I need. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. We say that over ourselves because it's true. The Lord really is my shepherd. I I don't have any needs. He takes care of all my needs. And He's leading me. How many of you would say that's basically true of you? You're part of the 99. That's who you are. You're in the fold. You're in the family of God. You're part of the whole experience. It's great to be in the 99, isn't it? We celebrate that every single worship service that we get to be at together. We're in the 99. It's awesome. But then there are some other people in this parable that we need to recognize because some people are missing to the kingdom of God. They are the lost sheep. Somehow, something has happened to them. Uh, They used to be under the care of the shepherd, but they have wandered away. Are you aware that sheep can wander? They can. They get distracted. They look over there and they say, oh, that bush over there looks so good to eat. I don't know if sheep eat bushes, but pretend with me here. So they go over to the bush and like, I like this bush. And then they get thorns in them and briars and there's no water there and they get stuck in the thicket and they start crying out and they're saying, it's a bad day, right? You guys are really sharp. Very bad day. But that's the nature of sheep, right? They go over here. I think it's better over here. I'm going to stay over here. Oh, it's not so good over here. Okay. 
uh, will call out. Maybe the shepherd will hear you. That happens to sheep. They wander outside of the protection and provision of the shepherd, and they get hurt, and they're in trouble. Does that happen to people? Yeah. Does it happen to individuals that you know? Absolutely. Has it ever happened to you? Most likely. There are wandering sheep all over the place. That's why Isaiah said in chapter 53, All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. That's the description of all humanity, including us. At some point in our lives, we were wandering away from the shepherd. But the shepherd leaves the 99 in the wilderness. And that's a picture of rescue. It's a portrayal of what happens to many people. You know, they get lost They get turned around, they get stuck into a pattern or lifestyle that seemed okay at the time, but after a while they realize this is bringing condemnation, shame, guilt, misery, pain, and fear into my life, and they are lost. It's the predicament of every human person without God, every believer who's wandered away from God, or every unbeliever who's running away from God. They're in serious trouble. They've gotten lost. Are you with me? They've gotten lost. In fact, it's so serious that Jesus, as he's telling the story, uses a word to describe what it means to be lost. And it's a word that is shocking to the Pharisees and to the scribes. He uses the word apolume, which means to perish in hell. That's what it means. That word lost shows up in other places in the Bible, and it means to perish and to be lost eternally in hell. Jesus is saying this is serious. This is not just about wandering sheep. This is about wandering souls. And if things don't change for this person or this sheep, they are headed for a Christless eternity called hell. As far as the shepherd is concerned, if he can't find that sheep soon, if he can't get to that sheep really quickly, that sheep will be lost to his life forever. So he leaves the 99 in the wilderness. Well, what does this story tell us about God? It tells us some amazing things because Jesus chose the imagery here of a shepherd to convey a truth which we all should um, know by now or embrace in a new way today that God really is a shepherd to his people. He really is. In John chapter 10, at verse number 14. Jesus says this, I am the good shepherd, and I know my sheep, and I am known by my own. So if you're one of his sheep, guess what? He knows you, and you know him. Verse 15, as the Father knows me, even so I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. He's the good shepherd. If you want to find out what the heart of God is like in this area, just read through Ezekiel chapter 34 in the Old Testament. Because in that chapter, God speaks to the shepherds of Israel and basically says, come on, you guys need to shepherd the people well, and you're not. And at one point in, the, in that chapter, God says, I'll do it myself. If you're not going to shepherd my people, I'll shepherd them. And he steps in and does it. And then we have that other amazing part of the Bible that I've already quoted from, Psalm 23, which says, The Lord is my shepherd. Can I just do a word change there for the same meaning? The Lord is my pastor. That's what it means. Pastor means shepherd. 
The Lord is my pastor. I have everything I need. So you as a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have a pastor available to you 24-7. Isn't that awesome? I do too. His name is Jesus. There's not a moment in my day that I can't call upon him and draw something from him that I need. He hears everything that I'm saying. He sees all of my circumstances. He wants to provide everything for me that is needed. He wants to bless my life. He wants to bless your life. You have a pastor. You have a pastor, and his name is Jesus, and he's the greatest pastor of all. And once you're under his care, oh my goodness, then you have life and life more abundantly. Then you step into what the kingdom is all about, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. When Jesus is your pastor, anxiety should flee your life. Fear should be out of your life. Strongholds of sin should be broken off of you so that you can be set free. Jesus is the great shepherd who leads us into those things. Even in Luke chapter 19 in the story of Zacchaeus, you can turn there if you want. Um, Zacchaeus is the chief tax collector in that city. And he hears Jesus is coming to town in Jericho. And so he, he runs ahead of him and he sits up in a sycamore tree. And uh, Jesus comes by, looks up in the tree and says, Hey, Zacchaeus, calm down. i got to stay at your house. I, I try to picture how that happened, that interaction. And Zacchaeus was like, Seriously? Out of all the people that you could have given a backstage pass to, you're asking me? To have time with you? Yeah, I'm going to stay at your house. Zacchaeus comes down from the sycamore fig tree, and you know, he's the chief tax collector, so he has many, many things that he's ashamed of. and um, So he, he does some repentance in front of Jesus, and he says, Lord, whatever I've stolen from people, I restore. And then Jesus says these words, chapter 19 at verse 9, Today salvation has come to this house because he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. The Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. Those are shepherd words. Those are words spoken by Jesus saying, I know why I'm here. I know my mission from the Father. I am looking for the lost sheep of Israel. I'm looking for the lost sheep who need, who need me. And once they come into my fold, and once they experience my love, they will be safe, and they will be saved. Do you know what else this passage tells us about God? It tells us that He has compassion on us. It tells us that God has feelings. Psalm 103, just check it out. See how compassionate the Lord is towards you and I, that He does not treat us as our sins deserve. His compassions are poured out over us. Just read the prophet Isaiah and see how often God speaks to his people and he says, I feel like a jilted lover. I feel like you've betrayed me in our marriage relationship and you've committed adultery by going after other gods. God puts in writing in his own book how he feels. And I know that in some Bible-believing churches you're not supposed to talk about God having feelings. I understand the theological argument behind it. I, I know that God's perfect, and His feelings are never out of control. Thank goodness. Can you imagine if God's feelings were out of control? And one day He just decided, I, I, I'm done with the whole human experiment, and picked up the planet Earth and threw it into a black hole in space. Said, game over. 
I'm so glad that God's feelings are not out of control. But all of his feelings flow out of his perfect attributes. That he's loving and just and wise and all-powerful and all-knowing and all-present everywhere. And so on. But he has feelings for his own people that he made in his image. He loves us with the most tender and the most amazing love of all. Even in the New Testament, we see Jesus weeping at the funeral of a friend named Lazarus. Weeping. Going, oh, death is so wrong. And it is wrong. Jesus weeps over the city of Jerusalem as he comes into it, praying over it. Jesus compassionately lets a sinful woman, most likely a prostitute, anoint his body with expensive perfume because he sensed her heart moving towards him. And his compassion allowed her to do it. And here he is in our passage giving a backstage pass to tax collectors and sinners. God is the ultimate shepherd. Here's the thing. In this story, it shouts to us that God, in a sense, is grieving the one sheep that is lost from his flock. He leaves the 99 in the wilderness. And he goes after that one missing sheep. You ever lose something or someone that you love? Someone that you had affection for or someone that you were in close relationship with and you've lost them? You know the grieving that happens when that goes on? It's real. It's profound. God meets us in our grief. Growing up in a small town, I, I had some rather unique experiences. I grew up in a very u- unique town It wasn't a very big place. It was about three miles by three miles by three miles. And in our family, we always had dogs. I grew up with dogs. I I like dogs. I know I tell you that a lot, but I really like dogs. And I had eight dogs growing up between the ages of six and 14. And I loved them all. When I would get home from school, I'd ride my bike as fast as I could back home, and I would play with my dogs. And we'd go down to the creek together and down to the lake together, and I'd throw them sticks I loved being with my dogs. Interesting thing, though, that in those eight years that I had those dogs, and I had eight dogs, four of them went missing and never came home. Seriously. Didn't all happen at once, but, you know, one dog was disappeared in the springtime after a snowstorm hit, and I asked my mom and dad what happened to Sparky, and they said, we don't know. Maybe someone felt sorry for him outside, and he jumped into a warm car and went to Winnipeg. I don't know. That's what they told me. So I don't know if Sparky ever made it to Winnipeg or not. I was grieving him. We had a beautiful Coley dog named Lady. She was beautiful and elegant and, and just like a princess, And she disappeared one day after we had her for a year. Never saw her again. Heard some rumor that some sheep farmer up the road shot dogs that came near his fence. And that there was a body of a coley laying in a ditch. We never went and looked at it. And I had two other dogs that disappeared. And I would ride my bike up and down the back lanes calling out their names. Where are you? Calling out Chico and Gumper and Sparky. And they never showed up. This was devastating to me. I think I need soul care, actually. (laughs) I've taken soul care. I've gone through it four times for myself, and God has done a deep work in my heart in so many ways. By the way, I celebrate all 
is it 99 people in soul care community? 97? 96? All of you who are in soul care community in the eight-week journey, way to go. Keep pressing in. You're at the halfway mark. Don't give up. There's more freedom, more joy, more strength from God coming your way. It's awesome. It's incredible. But as much as we grieve someone that we've lost, remember this, friends, God also grieves. God also grieves when one of his own goes missing. It goes all the way back to the garden in Genesis chapter 3 when it says, the Lord God came into the garden and the man and the woman had disobeyed God and eaten from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and their eyes were open and they had sinned and they were ashamed so they went and hid themselves. God comes in the garden and his first statement is, where are you? Where are you? It's the grieving heart of the Lord. Where are you? Doesn't God know where we are at all times? Absolutely. God does not have location deficiencies. I think what he's really saying is, do you know where you are? Do you know where you are? Because I can't see you. I can't connect to you. I can't find you. There's some barrier between you and I. Where are you? So he leaves the 99 in the wilderness and goes after the one. And when he finds it, it's a special moment. Jesus is the ultimate shepherd. He gives his life for his sheep. So in the story, we have a very good ending, as you already know. Look at chapter 15 at verse 5. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. I picture the shepherd, you know, spending hours looking all over the countryside for that one lost sheep. Finally, he sees the sheep over in the thicket bush, calling out, you know, for help. And he comes over to the sheep and probably says, you silly sheep. Like, what are you doing here? Is this where you want to be? No, not that sheep's talk, but go with me on it. So the shepherd goes down on his knees and he snaps off the briars and the thorns that are digging into the sheep's body and bandages up their wounded paw or hooves or whatever they are and gets the sheep free. And then he puts the sheep on top of his what? His shoulders. He's like, yeah! And it says rejoicing as he did it. He's got his sheep on his shoulders, and he heads back home. Verse 6, when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep which was lost. He comes in the house, everybody's like, Yeah, you found her, you found him. Yeah, I got my sheep. Let's celebrate this together. And then we read these monumental words in verse 7. I say to you that likewise there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. And it's that phrase, more joy, that jumps out to me. More joy. Literally in the Greek, epi-joy. Think like epi-pen, right? Super pen. Next level joy is what it means. Incredible joy. There will be epi-joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Look at verse 10 in the other parable. Likewise, I say to you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Wow. 
So I try to picture this like, you know, why is heaven so dialed into this stuff? I think it's because the angels know what's at stake. I think the angels know when people are getting close to the kingdom and they're almost at that line when they're going to step across and receive Christ as their Lord and Savior. I think angels sense when people are near that decision. And they're watching. They're going, look how close she is. Oh, my goodness. One more step. One more step of faith. One more step of surrender. And you're in. And they're going, yeah, it's going to happen. And then she or he crosses the line of faith, receives Christ, and the angels burst out in celebration. I don't know if they high-five each other or if they rub wings or what they do. (laughs) You know? Celebration moment in heaven. Heaven's like, yeah, another one came in. It's awesome. That's what heaven's like. There are no grumblers in heaven. Not like these guys mentioned here in in the beginning of the chapter. They grumbled, right? Because they saw Jesus hanging around with tax collectors and sinners. There's no grumblers in heaven. There's no murmurers in heaven. There's no mutterers in heaven. There's just celebration and joy. Celebration and joy. By the way, when it says the 99 just persons who need no repentance, they still get celebrated. It's not that they they get nothing. But there's more joy, epi joy in heaven when one sinner crosses that line. Oh, wow. Could it be that the angels of God are looking on us today? St. Bernard, the Bishop of Clairvaux, in the 18th century wrote these words. The tears of the repentant become the wine of angels. The tears of the repentant become the wine of angels of angels. And angels drink the wine of repenting sinners and they rejoice. Friends, hear me on something. This is not simply a parable about what God is like. It includes that. Of course it includes that. Shows us his incredible heart. But you know what the real point of this story is? Jesus is exposing the hearts of the of the Pharisees and the scribes. And he's saying to them in effect, You should have gone after these publicans. You should have gone after these tax collectors. You should have chased them like a shepherd chases a sheep, and you didn't. And so I've rescued them. But they could have been rescued by you. See, the Pharisees and the tax, or the Pharisees and the scribes, they prided themselves on not being in contact with anyone who was unclean. And they saw shepherds as being unclean, even in the story. It bothered them when they heard that. The whole time that they're listening to Jesus, they're going, yeah, yeah, but I don't want to be in contact with unclean people called shepherds. And so they sat in their religious smugness while Jesus did all the rescue work. He's driving home a point here. He's saying to the religious leaders, come on, look around you, look at what's happening in your town, see all the lost sheep and go after them. Take my heart to them, take my words to them, take my gospel to them. This story makes us ask not just what's true about God, but what's true about us. The mission that we are on is to rescue lost people. And it's something that all of us have been sent to do. By the way, I want to share something with you about our city. Our city is awesome. And God has a calling on our city for something great. We all know that, right? We sense that, that there's, this is a uniqueness about this city. And it also has great needs. 
So this last week, one of our pastors, Nathan, gets a call from a peace officer in town. She says, uh, we didn't know who to talk to, so we called your church. Can you help us? Um, we've got a guy living out of a car, and uh, his dog went missing. His dog was living with him in the car, and it's a matted dog, like not groomed very well. And some people found it, and they go, well, that's the dog that belongs to the guy in the car. And so they called the police officers, or the peace officers, and they said, we'll deal with that. And they asked Pastor Nathan to come down and help him. So he did. He spent two hours with them and, and with the guy in his car. And uh, what, what really touched me is when Nathan said that the peace officers were so compassionate, that they just loved on this guy, that they were really wrecked that he was living in his car. Because in our city, there's no transitional housing where you can go to when you're in deep distress. You, you basically have to go south to Calgary. So picture that, a, a city of 70,000 people. And when you're out of a place to live, our message is, you got to go there. Ouch. And I think the peace officers felt that. So Nathan spent some time with this guy, praying with him, praying for his eye to be healed, sharing the love of Jesus with him and helping him strategically. He might even be here in church today. And uh, if you are, I just say we love you. And God has great plans for your life. And we'll walk with you. And on and on it goes. We're living in a city where there is great brokenness, where there's lots of sheep that have wandered away quite far. And I hear the whisper of the Holy Spirit these days as if saying to me, pastor the city. Don't just pastor the church. Do that too. But pastor the whole city. And I think, how do we do that? We have to do that together. We have to see the vision for this. We have to step into those moments. We have to realize that when we find people in parked cars, we are part of the answer for that need. When people are outside of a grocery store and they're looking for help, we are the hands and feet of Jesus. When people think that suicide is the only option, it is you who will say to them, suicide is not an option. It is not necessary. There's a better way, and it's through Jesus Christ. He gives life. He gives a brand new beginning. He lifts burdens off people's souls so that they're set free. You can have Him. You don't have to end your life. You can step into a whole new beginning and identity with Jesus Christ. We are the pastoral care team in the city. And I hear God's whisper saying, you bring him into my house. You just bring him in because I'm bringing them your way, ready or not. <laughs> Friends, it's time for us to be wrecked by the love of God in whole new ways. I ask our worship team to come up. Time for us to be wrecked by the love of God. Time for us to lose sleep over some things. Time for us to look at the situations in our friends' lives or in our own family and say, it is time for God to break through. It's time for people's lives to receive the touch of the Father's love. It's time for healing to go to another layer of our city. It's time for brokenness to be dealt with and replaced with peace. It's time. And maybe if we're feeling a little tug in that area, maybe even this week, God will use some of you in a very special and strategic way. So I'm going to invite you to stand. We've got a few minutes to pray here. And I'm talking to sheep here, right? 
for the most part. I'm saying, hey, sheep, you are really loved. Isn't it good to be in the 99? Oh, God, thank you. And maybe you just need to remember the day that you became one of the 99. Realize that was an act of sheer grace and mercy on the part of God. Just thank Him. And if you're in the 99, maybe it's a moment in your life where you just need to say, God, I want more of your heart for that one sheep, that one struggling, missing person. I want your strength, oh God. I want to go after them with your love. I want to bring them into your kingdom family. I pray that God will put people's names and faces upon us right now. Just ask Him if you don't know someone that you can reach out to. Just ask Jesus to reveal to you the face or name of someone who needs the love of the Father right now. And once you've received that, just commit yourself with the Lord's help and the power of His Holy Spirit to do something about it. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, oh my goodness, I thought I was in the 99, but I don't think I am. I want to say to you today, this is your moment. You can enter into the family of God right now. God loves you. He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross for your sins so that you could be restored to God, so you could have a brand new life. He wants you to receive His Son into your heart. I want you to do that right now. I'm going to encourage you to do that with me. Just pray this prayer right now. Lord Jesus, I believe you're the Son of God. Thank you for dying on the cross for my stuff, my sins. Forgive me for my wandering. I turn away from the way I would lead my life. I repent and I come to you and I ask you to be my Lord and Savior. I surrender all to you right now. And I receive you. And I thank you that you've come into my life. Just keep looking to me. Come on, receive him. Come on, don't hold back. He's coming into your life as you receive him. Father, I pray for those people who are crying out to you right now. I pray that your Holy Spirit would bring about a new birth. I, I pray, God, that you would show them by a sign of some sort, maybe a sense in their heart or a deep sense of conviction in their, in their mind that this is real, this is happening, this is, this is my moment. Strengthen them, Lord, right now. Friend, just thank God that he has rescued you. Tell him, Lord, I'm following you. And I thank you for the gift of eternal life. Thank you. Come, Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Pour out the Father's love over our hearts and lives. Wreck us with the compassion of Jesus so that we can go out from here and rescue everyone who needs you. We say yes to you.
for the sake of the world, light a fire in me. A fire that won't go out, a fire that won't get dim, but a fire that will burn brightly for his namesake. God bless you.